Welcome to Inside Outside Innovation, episode 98. Sean Amirati really knows both sides of the table. He's gone from founding multiple companies to being a partner at Birchmere Ventures and a professor at Carnegie Mellon University. He's written numerous books, including The Science of Growth, How Facebook Beat Friendster, and will be speaking at the Inside Outside Innovation Summit happening May 29th through the 31st. In his conversation with Brian, Sean talked about his unique journey, big versus small, and tools that have helped him help others. Hi there, I'm Victory Clafter, the producer of Inside Outside Innovation. This podcast is hosted by Brian Ardinger, founder of Next, a provider of research, events, and consulting services that helps innovators and entrepreneurs build better products, launch new ideas, and compete in a world of change and disruption. For more information on our team, visit next.co. That's N-X-X-T And for info on the upcoming IO Innovation Summit, May 29th through 31st here in Lincoln, Nebraska, visit theiosummit.com. So really three startups across those 13 years. Um, right before that, I was a grad student at Carnegie Mellon, actually, and um, <clears throat> My uh, then advisor likes to give me a hard time that I walked into his office and confidently told him I was dropping out of grad school because I was confident in one thing and one thing only. And that was that I did not want to become a professor uh, when I grew up. And obviously, ironically, about a dozen years later, was back teaching at Carnegie Mellon, but um, left CMU in the middle of grad school to do my first startup and did uh, did three of those. Um, and and just loved the experience. Obviously, um, you know there were uh, certainly days that I didn't love the experience, but but at, at a high level, it was you know the hard days and and the the great days. So it was just it was a blast. So we sold the first of those companies to Morgan Stanley. It was in the quantitative trading um, software space. The second was actually LinkedIn's first acquisition, and the third was um, a media property that some of your listeners may be familiar with um, called Read Write Web, which we sold to a, a roll-up called Say Media. Um, right as we were selling Read Write to Say, about a year before that, I had actually gone back as adjunct faculty at Carnegie Mellon and started teaching. And, you know, the the real, I think the real thing that kind of got me on the, the journey that you're talking about today is that just, I had sort of at that point felt like the only thing I could do and, and wanted to do, frankly, uh, was start companies. Um, but the year or so that I was adjunct faculty, just teaching a night class at CMU, I really became, just started to realize that as much fun as starting companies and, and building new products and services was helping other people do that was, was right. even more fun. And so um, the last six years, um, really, I look at all the different things you described as just different formats for helping people create new products and services, build companies, innovation, all that kind of stuff. It's an amazing journey. And, and again, I, I find that in an innovation space, there's a lot of folks kind of with your background that have uh, tried a lot of different things and have been on you know both sides of the table in a lot of different yep. uh, respects. So let's talk a little bit about, you've got a, a new book that uh, recently came out called The Science of Growth. And um, you basically took a look at the differences of, of why uh, like startups either kind of scale or don't scale uh, in the same area. So, you know, you compared, I think, I believe 20 different companies, you know, Facebook versus Friendster and, and that. And so 
talk a little bit about that particular book. What was the process? What did you learn? And, and, uh, and what can the, the audience kind of take from it? Yeah. Um, so, you know, like, like any, like any uh, innovation, right? Your customers are often um, the greatest source of, of insights. And so the first course I was teaching at Carnegie Mellon was a course called um, Lean Entrepreneurship, which is basically uh, a takeoff on the, the Lean Startup methodology and had grad students from across campus. And I had a student at the end of that course challenge me that as much as he enjoyed the class, um, his one of his real challenges was like, he wasn't trying to figure out how to go join a startup right at that point and go from idea to product market fit. He was really evaluating, you know, a number of different series A, series B finance companies and trying to think about which one to go work for and, uh, and um, how he could most uh, effectively support them. And so as we were, as we started talking about that, I realized that there was really a need for a second course on campus that was if lean entrepreneurship was this graduate course across campus for idea to product market fit, we needed a second course, which is kind of product market fit to scale. And this was probably four or five years ago. And, uh, and so started doing uh, independent studies with students, looking at some of the cases that you talked about, uh, Facebook versus Friendster, Tesla versus Fisker, um, and, and looked at, you know, were there common patterns across those different, uh, companies that turned into a course um, on campus, uh, which has become very popular. And then, um, as often happens uh, in academia, um, that got caught the attention of, of an agent and ultimately a publisher. And so um, that book uh, kind of t- translated the course into a, into a book. Um, and you know, from my perspective, what, what we're really trying to do there is, you know, obviously. Um, give people this, the framework that we ended up kind of discovering as a group of, of students and myself, um, which tries to break down the process from uh, product market fit to scale into three distinct phases and give mm-hmm. different techniques and processes that entrepreneurs can look at, um, uh, look at in each of those three steps um, that they might go through from as they try to scale out their, their innovation. So what's kind of changed in the you know last five, six, seven years? You've been in the space for a while and that you know, um, you know five or six years ago when I started you know startup accelerator here in Nebraska, uh, you know quite frankly, there weren't just even understanding what lean startup was, there weren't a lot of mentors, right. there weren't a lot of folks kind of applying that now now it seems to be um, fairly common, uh, even you know when we work with more corporations they're at least familiar with some of the terms and and the yep. kind of the basic methodology around it. What do you think has changed uh, that has kind of cause that rapid ad- adoption of those particular techniques and, and where do you see it going in the future? Yeah, totally. So, so, um, so I think there's two things wrapped up in that. Like one, I, I think part of what, what Eric and, and the whole lean startup methodology has done is it's given us vocabulary for things that entrepreneurs have done for a long time. I did a, a project with two other professors at CMU, Dave Mawinney and Bob Blattberg, where we actually looked at about, 200 different um, universities entrepreneurship program, really looking at this question of like, how do you teach entrepreneurship? And can you teach entrepreneurship even? Um, and one of the things that became obvious is, as we looked at this is that it's obvious, and, and everybody in your podcast, I think, knows this intuitively, it's different to teach entrepreneurship than it is to, to teach, you know, uh, statistics or something. Right. 
And, but one of the things you need to do right, is you need to say like, this is the process that entrepreneurs go through when they um, are more likely to be successful than others. And I think what Eric's done a really great job of with the book is he's given not just an overview of those processes, many of which entrepreneurs have been doing for a long time, but he's given us vocabulary and terminology so that we don't end up talking past each other um, or don't end up using words thinking we mean the same thing and mean different things, right? And, and so I think that's part of why the methodology has become so popular. It's just giving people kind of handles to look at this. The other part of it, though, that you can't miss as well is just entrepreneurship has gone from, you know, this thing that it was a relatively small part of um, people's interests and, and you know, a, a, an, a relatively unlikely career path for um, people to pursue to a very common career path um, and something that lots and lots of people are interested in. And um, I think is certainly not just relegated to Silicon Valley. And I mean that uh, in, in two ways. And I know this is something that you guys on your podcast have been looking at for a while. I mean, not relegated to Silicon Valley in the sense that like it's geographically not relegated right. to Silicon Valley, um, which is a big part of, of our investment thesis at Birchmere, that there are amazing entrepreneurs all over the country and, um, and uh, you know, going and supporting entrepreneurs in those places often, uh, you know, we've been doing this for 22 years. I, I've been part of the firm for six years, but the firm's been around for 22 years doing this and you can deliver pretty amazing returns for your investors and work with really remarkable entrepreneurs all over the country. Um, but also, I mean, not just Silicon Valley in the sense of not just, you know, three folks in a garage, you know, literally or metaphorically or in a, in an accelerator somewhere today, but, but also that lots of large companies uh, care about building transformational new products and services these days. And so I think, you know, the, the material would, this lean startup methodology as a framework and process would have been really good either way. It would have been really helpful for those who, who care about these things. And, Certainly, uh, when I started teaching the class at CMU six years ago, using a lot of the terminology and techniques, like I think it was good material then. But part of what's happened is just the interest level. It's kind of a perfect storm, right? The interest level has also accelerated uh, and a larger and larger segment of the population, literally across the world, care about these things uh, and and these topics today. And I think that a lot of it from the standpoint of it's now become much more tactical. You know, Eric's book was great and it's kind of 30,000 foot right. uh, kind of intro to the subject. But as over the years, you know, more and more examples and more and more people are actually using the techniques and, and applying those and, and learning what actually works and what doesn't work. hundred um, percent. Yeah. It, I think it also comes down to, you know, if you think about, um, you know, technology uh, in general and, and accessibility of technology to the everyman, so to speak, uh, access to markets uh, were, has never been easier to a certain extent and the ability to experiment and, and throw things out there into the world and see what happens uh, seems to have uh, launched a, a lot of new uh, new ventures in the, in the last couple of years. Oh yeah, it's a, it's a great time to be an entrepreneur for sure as well. So it's not, it, it makes sense people care about it. But, but I also think, you know, I think about when my dad went to get his MBA, right? The, the famous movie at the time about business was was Wall Street. And, you know, a lot of guys went to Wall Street afterwards and realized that Wall Street didn't look quite like uh, the movies. And, you know, the, the, the famous kind of business movie of our, of our current um, season is, is Facebook. And a lot of people do, do startups and then realize that, like, hey, turns out there's a lot of steps between an idea and a billion users. But, 
Um, but like it gets people interested in this, right? So it's a great time to do it and there's interest in it. Um, and you know, it's only becoming, I think, a more interesting time to be an entrepreneur, whether you're sitting inside a large company, like, like some of the folks you had on the podcast in the past, you know, at Estee Lauder or a BMW, or you're sitting inside, um, you know, a, an accelerator in Nebraska. So you, uh, we talked a little bit about uh, how um, obviously this is entrepreneurs are you know popping up everywhere and el- elsewhere. But uh, one of the new things you've also started is the the corporate startup lab at Carnegie Mellon. And uh, my assumption is that uh, you know corporations were kind of raising their hand and and asking you and others like, how are you doing this? <laughs> how are new companies kind of sprouting up out of nowhere and that? And um, t- tell us a little bit about the corporate startup lab and how you're trying to kind of uh, help corporations uh, kind of think and move and act more like startups. Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly right. So the the start of it was starting to do more and more executive education around this. Um, when the book came out, um, a lot of, of large companies did did bulk orders of the book, which I certainly um, appreciated. And I started <laughs> to spend time with them, understanding kind of why they were interested in this material. And, and exactly to your point, lots of companies today are trying to figure out um, how to how to build new practices, how to look more like a startup. And what I had realized is that, um, you know, whereas maybe 20 years ago, a lot of entrepreneurs, but this would have been before uh, Four Steps to the Epiphany and Lean Startup and, and those kind of books came out, they would look at how big companies did innovation and try to apply that to entrepreneurship. Um, today, a lot of large companies are looking at how small companies, how, you know, small, what you might call traditional startups, build products and services and apply those methodologies into large companies. And from my perspective, there are certain elements of that that are one-to-one the same. Um, Mm -hmm. So talking to customers um, early in the process makes a lot of sense if you're Estee Lauder and it makes a lot of sense if you're three guys in a garage. Um, Now there's different restrictions if you're Estee Lauder than you're three guys in a garage. And so, so tactically that may be slightly different, but the, at least the, the 30,000 foot principle is very similar. Uh, in other ways, obviously it's completely different how you finance a corporate startup versus a traditional startup are, are very different. And so, yeah, we, we went and talked to lots of companies about how they were doing it, um, started trying to understand just what's the same and what's different right. between traditional startups and corporate startups, and then started, uh, started, building, we're, we're in the process now, we've built three at this point. Um, we think that of them as kind of thinking tools to complement uh, traditional startup tools to help, um, to help corporate entrepreneurs with the things that are distinct about doing innovation inside of a company. So we've built um, a thinking tool called the Corporate Startup Canvas, which we think of as a complement, uh, not a replacement at all, but like a complement to the business model canvas. Um, we've built um, a... Uh, Excel model um, that we think of as a uh, a um, basically a tool to help finance and corporate entrepreneurs talk to each other. Again, to this point on how you finance them is very very different, and it turns out um, corporate finance likes things in Excel. We've learned so uh, <laughs> g- give it to them in the framework that they're used to. Um, that's probably one of the more more interesting ones. Um, you know, one of the things I think that's caused companies to systematically underinvest in innovation is um, this reliant on using finance techniques that are meant to estimate 
much more evenly distributed uh, investment outcomes to things that have by definition, you know, entrepreneurship innovation has by definition um, a not even distribution of likely outcomes. And so uh, the most obvious example of this, that those of listeners of your podcast who spend a lot of time in, in um, corporate entrepreneurship settings will, will quickly jump to is right. Uh, going through the exercise with finance on building a net present value of um, right. the idea that you have on the back of a napkin, um, yeah, which you is can't measure the same things when, yeah. when, when you don't have a, a product or, or a customer segment at the very beginning. That's, that's right. It's crazy. <laughs> right. It, and what it does is it gives you a, a precise number that the only thing you know about that number is that it's precisely wrong. Right. <laughs> and so, um, and so that, you know, that that doesn't make sense, but it's a technique to be fair that that corporate finance is comfortable with and they use for a lot of their other projects. Um, the problem is the math is is wrong because the math assumes the average outcome. And so, you know, right. if I were to say to you, what's the average temperature people like tea, right? The answer would be room temperature, because lots of people like iced tea and lots of people <laughs> like hot tea, but almost nobody drinks uh room temperature tea, right? They're just just because you can precisely come up with an answer doesn't mean that's a helpful answer at all. And so um, th just, this is just, you know, and, and all these tools are free by the, the way at the Carnegie Mellon corporate startup lab website. So um, there's not truly not a commercial, but um, the, the idea behind this model is instead of using net present value to estimate innovation, why don't we use other techniques that finance is also comfortable with. And, and in this case um, have become pretty convinced that using Black-Scholes and option theory to price innovation at the beginning ends up um, being the right way to at least think it through. And so um, we have this, this tool that helps corporate entrepreneurs and finance people do that. So it's, it's those kind of things that sort of um, you can think of as similar to what the business model canvas and different, um, different uh, techniques that, that have become extremely popular inside um, inside accelerators and and early in in the idea process ideation process for traditional startups have been built to be helpful some of those work one for one and, and we try to point people to those where we think they work just the same as before and and then where it's different we try to point them to things that may that may help them because um i, I think you know the world needs more people doing entrepreneurial things right and and you know to, that doesn't just mean more people doing um, you know, three or four person de novo startups inside of an accelerator. Although I think that's an amazing thing to do. And I, I love my time doing it. You know, some people, it means being more entrepreneurial inside of BMW and Estee Lauder than many of the guests that you've had on, on your podcast before, Brian. Yeah, it's absolutely. And I think it, it's going to be, even if you think about uh, the, the changing workplace and things along those lines, I think the, the general person may not be a quote unquote founder of a, of a large enterprise in that, but they can still use some of the entrepreneurial tools and they're going to have to think and, and move more like a, an entrepreneur, I think in the future, just because of the change of uh, the change in the pace of, of dis um, disruption and things that's going on. A hundred percent. I mean, the, the, the definition I use for entrepreneur um, in, in my book and all my classes everywhere is that entrepreneurs look out into the world. They see the world as broken in some way. From, from their point of view, right? And they build products and services that make the world as it ought to be. And the reality is you can do that anywhere. And, and to your point, as um, many of the routine 
cognitive tasks in the world get automated away with, you know, big data algorithms, all that kind of stuff. Like it's that activity that's, that's essential for people to do whether no, no matter sort of who is sending them a paycheck, whether they're a founder or, or work for a large company. And, and it's been a lot of fun over the last um, year or so at the core startup lab to, to really understand more um, the, these other types of entrepreneurs that, that, you know, frankly, and up till this point, my experience with them has been more kind of customer partner type relationship. It's been fun to actually get in and, and spend time with them and try to help them um, help them actually uh, build out this, this capability within their companies. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you are coming out to the Inside Outside Innovation Summit here in a few weeks. Uh, yep. This episode will probably come out uh, right before that. Uh, any, uh, anything you'd like to preview or uh, kind of give the audience uh, uh, another reason to come out to the conference? Uh, I, I mean, I'm looking forward to it, honestly, as much to attend as to, to, to speak. It looks like an, just an incredible um, event. So I don't know they need, they need more reasons to come, but, um, <laughs> but it, I would say look at the agenda and, uh, if you ignore my session, there, there looks like just a, a tons of stuff I can't wait to, to learn from. You know, what I'm going to try to talk about is some of the stuff that we've been doing at the Corporate Startup Lab and, and tied into some of the stuff I've been doing at Birchmere as well. I, I love this this mission of, of um, T-shirts and ties in, in a room together. Right? I think magic happens when you have um, lots of different innovators from lots of different perspectives in, in the room together. And so, um, you know, from my perspective, talking about how to, how to really maximize um, your return on innovation investments but will end up um, hopefully being good fodder for for the conversation but but one of the things i've learned um about events like this is um you know hopefully the content is that it's good fodder for conversation and things like and, and things of that nature but but the truth is you can get content lots of different places it's right. the things that happen in the hallways it's things that happen after the um after the presentations and how different people build on these these themes that end up becoming just kind of magical and it just the the folks you've pulled together look look incredible so hopefully some of these uh some of the things i can put out there can 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 be some good um some good conversation starters can help some good things get started and then i'm looking forward to listening and learning from from uh your folks as well i think we're i'm also going to have some books out there for your attendees as well so um, if the book sounds interesting, happy to, to give you a copy of, of that um, for free for those of you who are coming. And, um, you know, if you want to decrease the value of it, I'm happy to sign it as well. Um, but, uh, but, you know, that was a bad joke, I guess, but, but happy, to, uh, happy, to, happy to do that and, and really, really looking forward to, to being out there in a few weeks with you, Ben. That wraps up another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. Thanks for listening. To hear more from Sean, register for your tickets today for the IO Innovation Summit, May 29th through 31st here in Lincoln, Nebraska. Give us a shout while you're signing up at the IO Podcast or leave us a review on iTunes. Until next time, go out and innovate.